My uncle, the infamous ring announcer Jimmy Lennon Sr., lived a life that was wrapped in myths, legends, and tall tales. The stories boggle the mind, like the time he, as a teenager, struck out the mighty Babe Ruth. This I have to find out about. I'm a Venice, California-born, Los Angeles-based sports fan, one that has played, coached, announced, and promoted sports my whole life. My love affair with sports started in my own backyard and has led me to this podcast. Thanks to the support of the Amateur Athletic Union in East Bay, I'm excited to bring you Sports Stories with Denny Lennon. Hello, sports historians. As our days number in the weeks and months, the coronavirus challenge that surrounds us reminds us we must support one another, stay together, and overcome this pandemic. Welcome to Video Audio Podcast, episode 29 of Sports Stories with Denny Lennon. So, did my Uncle Jim strike out the great Babe Ruth? Well, that answer and more awaits as part two of a four-part interview with the Hall of Fame boxing announcer Jimmy Lennon Jr. awaits. But first, it's time for me to introduce the producer of today's show, the director of the FBL 5 slate of shows, the all-time women's volleyball assist leader at New Mexico State, my quarantine partner for life, my wife, Christine Jimbo. Hi, everybody. Okay, I'm just here to remind you of three things and three things only. If you can remember these three things, you can find us anywhere. SportsStoriesPodcast.com. That's number one. Number two is Sports Stories with Denny Lennon. That's Denny like the restaurant, Lennon like the beetle. Mm-hmm. And number three on Twitter, Sports Stories DL. Those are the three things, and you can find us. Subscribe, find us, like us, do all that kind of stuff. We love it, and we love you too. Well played. Um, Hey, yeah, we're going five days a week, and we're really getting after it. One thing that's going to be a lot of fun, on April 29th, Sports Stories with Denny Lennon has been chosen to host the AAU Sullivan Awards show. So that'll be the 90th time that the most prestigious amateur award in the country is given out, and we get to do it on our channel. So there'll be a lot of information about that at Sports Stories Podcast coming up April 29th. In this part two of four with Jimmy Lennon Jr., we discuss his past career as a teacher and school administrator, his mantra of only being as good as his last performance, his ability to introduce fighters in various languages, and the roles he played, like in the 1991 movie Hot Shots with Charlie Sheen, and an episode of the runaway television hit Highway to Heaven with Michael Landon, and guest star Sammy Davis Jr. Oh yeah, I just referenced the world's greatest entertainer ever, the candy man himself, Sammy Davis Jr. Well, speaking of Jr., I think it's time. Hello, fight fans. Now back for round two of his historic four-part interview in the world-famous 7428 studio. It's the international Hall of Fame ring announcer, Jimmy Lennon Jr. Please note, this interview was recorded on January 28th, 2020. The other uh, thing that's kind of fun is the story about your dad, 1927, striking out Babe Ruth. Mm. Do you know uh, more details than I do about that? or You probably know more than I do, but I'll start and you fill it in. Uh, yeah, so he uh, won some sort of contest to pitch against Babe Ruth. Mm. 
and he faced him three times in the baseball field, <laughs> and the uh, third time he struck him out. Okay. And, you know, what a thrill and everything, and it was over, and my dad realized, I don't have a picture of that. So he grabbed a photographer, found a photographer, and uh, hunted down Babe Ruth, who was playing golf. And my, I have the picture at home, my dad in his baseball outfit, and Babe Ruth in his golfing outfit, because this was wow. hours afterwards. And it's, it's with him, you know, pretending like throwing a pitch, Babe Ruth holding a bat. My dad must have made sure he had a bat, too. And it was assigned <sighs> so smart. to Jimmy, you throw a wicked curveball, Babe Ruth. Goodness gracious! And you and, and you have still have that photo? Yeah. yeah. Oh wow! What? Yeah. That's an heirloom. A wicked curveball. Are you kidding? Me? <laughs> Babe Ruth. <laughs> yeah. Wow. And so how old was my dad? Fourteen at the Must time. Must have been about fourteen. Yeah. 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 That is something. Well, the part that uh, I always crack me up is as I read through his clippings in the local newspapers, uh, they'll talk about him hosting this fight or, or hosting this event or whatever, and no matter what they would have to tag it with. And this is as a schoolboy, he struck out Babe Ruth because your dad would carry. That around, they show it to him. He goes right there. He was awfully proud of that. God, that's so good. Childhood accomplishment. It's it's him. Um, You know, he he had all these groundbreaking um, things to the sport, to the ring, and but um, he was posthumously put into the um, what the International Hall of Fame, International Boxing Hall of Fame. And that I'm wondering why they didn't do that while he's still alive. Do you know? No. You know, and I can't dwell on it. A mm-hmm. a um, first of all, the International Boxing Hall of Fame wasn't real big when he was still announcing mm. at the at the same time. So okay. it, it developed and it grew after the years. And then I think you know his uh, accomplishments maybe faded a little bit because the time had passed, mm-hmm. and it was more of a at that point also more of an East Coast is in Canastota, mm. New York, and more of an East coast emphasis Mm -hmm. and so i don't dwell on on that as much as they righted something wrong and deservingly is there so it was um i think it was 2015 i believe was the year it could be wrong okay but uh, it's great great in there and i think i saw you quoted somewhere like years from now people won't know that it was posthumous they just know he's in there yes which which is terrific so you had graduated college Mm. and um did you immediately take a, a teaching job uh, so, um, what I did is I had a tough time finding work cause I studied psychology and you get mm. nothing with that. <laughs> and so I ended up substitute teaching just to keep busy. I, you know, it was a mm-hmm. tough time in life for me mm-hmm. and, um, I substitute and I was offered a job and I said, no. Mm. And then I, one of the nicest things is I read some, there was a teacher evaluations at the end of the semester, and I was ready to move on because mm. I was a long-term substitute. Someone had left. I think it was pregnancy, and and so I took over some classes. And some of the students wrote some things to me, and they showed them to me, and it was so touching. Right. I said, all right, I'll come back next year. You know, this is kind of nice. I ended up loving it. And okay. all sense. things, I mean, I haven't told many people this, but all things equal... Um, I loved it more than boxing, announcing. Mm. Uh, and I feel like I have one of the best jobs in the world, mm-hmm. being a, an announcer. But I really enjoyed it, having mm-hmm. an impact in kids, as, as you mm-hmm. know. Um, just the day-to-day, you know, making a change, helping someone, you mm-hmm. know, was really important to me. And I just loved it. 
So yeah. I had to give it up because I had to choose. I had a family to raise, and one was much more lucrative than the other. How did you get on the track to becoming the, what was it, a principal or a headmaster? And then uh, how did you get it's on a private that track? school, so yeah, uh, it was a very small school, and and okay. and um, well, they uh, asked West me LA to Baptist? yeah West LA Baptist yeah. School. We mm-hmm. had one of our Christmas parties there. I yeah, don't know if we did. Called. I did, and and my wedding was there. Uh, and they asked me; they were looking for new principals, and they asked me to throw my hat. And basically, I said, you know, if you find someone more equipped, hire them. I'm fine with what I'm doing. And if not, you know, I'll accept it. And so, so that's, that's how, how it you, happened. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. That's great. It sounds like the Catholic schools that I worked at, once you see, mm-hmm. they see a little competency in you in yes. one area, yeah. they start to add some things to you. <laughs> they keep <laughs> and, you around. And, and they don't add to, their, they don't add to your paycheck, but they <laughs> no. certainly add to your workload. No. Yeah, no. I know that drill. Um, so you then, at that time, at the same time, you were learning the announcing game with your father. Concurrently, yes. And I think it was also... Mid-70s, late-70s? No, this would be no, the 80s, 80s, early okay. 80s. Okay. Um, and I think uh, me, you know, leaving UCLA with not a real strong career direction, you know, I would go with my dad and he'd pay me some money to interview the fighters. Mm. So I'd start by going in, talking to the fighters, interviewing them, mm-hmm. giving my notes to my dad. And then eventually I would announce a fight. So it was mm. pretty much that same time period where I was, uh, you know, starting to teach also. And so it was an opportunity. And I was, hey, I like a little money. This is all right. And then I would announce a few fights and I would get a lot of acceptance. A lot, You know, some might say following your dad's footsteps would be very difficult, but people liked my dad so much that they they were really nice to me, really welcoming. And I, I think that had a big impact also on me. Like the notes from the students who enjoyed me teaching, I think I responded a lot uh, to the, to the kind sense. comments. Do you remember your first um, time in the ring having to announce a fight, undercard or whatever? Yeah, I was wearing a suit. I really didn't stand <laughs> in the center of the ring. I sat a little bit closer to the ropes. And uh, I, if I recall, and I'm, I, I don't, the first uh, fighter had the craziest nickname. Um, and his nickname was Bucket of Blood. <laughs> so here I am, this so young guy uh, starting uh, announcing, and I'm announcing this you're like, are you sure this Bucket is right? of Blood. And I ended up meeting his trainer not too long ago. He says, oh, yeah, I remember Bucket of Blood. He was oh, a really good goodness. guy, but, yeah, he was a little bit crazy. And, uh, Bucket of Blood. Nice. <laughs> um, I remember out of the backyard, um, I think you have a different experience with your, your dad, Um well, a little bit, anyways, because I, I think I know why. But any, um, so I was in the backyard calling those games, hmm. and then this women's pro beach volleyball decided to break away from being on the same courts as the men's because they weren't being treated fairly. Hmm. So they formed the Women's Pro Volleyball Association. They invited me to come be the same because they found me in the backyard. So they said, come out. And the very first time I went up, the tournament director turned to me and said, I don't know who you are, but if you're not any good, I'll have you off by lunch. Gee. And I went, oh, hi, uh, I'm Denny. Okay, so that's that was my, and I did well enough that by lunch they go, hey, our next one's in Hawaii. Do you want to uh. go? And I said, yeah. So then I, w- I did that for a few years. But I'm only my third event, fourth event, come back to Venice. Your dad went, and he sat. And, he, and I, I didn't notice, but he had a notepad. And he, and he sat for a lot of the day. And, and this is like, like in the 90s, no, 90, 89. 
And um, so I came. He came backstage, and I was like, "Hey, Uncle Jim!" I was proud. I could, mm-hmm. I like, I could not believe Uncle Jim came to see me announce. And I was like, "Hey, Uncle Jim!" He goes, "You got a second, boy?" And I go, "Sure." <laughs> he goes, "So I got a couple notes here." And he told me everything I said wrong, how I did ha- had some things out of order, so on and so forth. Gave me a couple compliments, but that's what I remembered. Wow. And he ended with, "And uh, whatever you do, son, don't embarrass the family." <laughs> I went, "Whoa!" But you know what it was? It was that tough love. He was like, I spent the day here, and I'm, I don't, I'm not going to come every time. But this one time, I'm going to teach you what I can. And it made me so much better because everything he said I remembered, and I started to pay attention much more closely to those things. Wow. And it really it made me 100% better. And I've always been so like thankful for that. I never got a chance to go back up to him and go, did you know? Like, wow. I actually got a lot better, Uncle Jim. You know? Oh, that's yeah. really something. Yeah, he was something. Yeah, you know what? It was, I think, the opposite for me. And I don't know why, but uh, I he when he was sick and, and not doing well and he would stay home and I'd take over some mm-hmm. of his work, or even when we worked together, he would have a little piece of paper with notes on it. But I'm so grateful, maybe because he knew me better, he would go through everything I did right. And he said, you, mm-hmm. good job doing this, and you did this, and oh. And, at the, and then at the end, he'd say, you know, sometimes you may want to think about putting the nickname at the beginning instead of the middle. And, you know, that might be it for his recommendations. But he was all very positive. Nice. He had a slow roll up with you. He, I, th- I think he Maybe his that. age. Uh, and also, I think him. he just he was like, no, I'm going to give him what I got now. Mm. And because it's what, you know, this is be the time mm. I see him. I mean, Uncle Bill um, lived two houses down from me. And I used to call him Grandpa because he taught me so much about sports. Mm. Right? I would go down there and he would just show me how to play ball. Mm. But he, I just remember he always was very concise, cut to the chase. Mm. And it worked for me. And wow. But I do remember that that was, that's pivotal to me on getting better. Uh, he told me something about concise, clear, and correct. You have three C's when you have that microphone, son concise clear and correct and just all those things they stuck with me to this day wow learning how to speak properly you know it was it was pretty uh that's really something how he saw that role in his life for me to give to you it was great we interrupt this podcast to bring you a commercial from our sponsor casablanca casablanca restaurant in venice california proud sponsor of sports stories with denny lennon also sponsoring the Facebook Live at 5 Friday show. Margaritas. That's right. Carlos is kind enough at Casablanca to uh, package up like a to-go, what they're selling, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, to-go. What, what is in it? It's like that taco it's bar. daily deal. He does basically a taco bar with two different meats, beans, rice, uh, tortillas. It's fantastic. Brilliant. And then you throw in the margaritas with that. And if you watch our uh, Friday show, you'll see that we cheers one another. He sends one over to uh, Venice where Marley and the Rices are hosting part of the show over here to the 7428 studio. And where any we do local it. guests. And any local guests. Doug O'Neill. Benefit as well. Doug O'Neill, the uh, Triple Crown winner, horse trainer, is a new big fan. So, you know, thank you, Carlos. You can call Carlos. At 310-505-5091. Again, 310-505-5091. Call Carlos. Ask him for the Sports Stories with Denny Lennon special. He's going to throw in margaritas or a big percentage off. Vámonos a Casa Blanca. Vámonos a Casa Blanca. Vámonos a Casa Blanca. La comida para la familia. 
Vámonos a Casa Blanca. Vámonos a Casa Blanca. And now back to our interview with Jimmy Lennon Jr. So first big gigs, like when did uh, when did that start to happen? So about like when did you get your first ones where you were? Well, okay. So my first world title fight, and I'll call it big, ended yeah. up being the first world world title fight of uh, boxing great Julio Cesar Chavez. Wow. And that was, uh, I think, in 84. And when you go to Mexico, they will talk about the exact date of that fight because it's, it's a big part of history because you know sure. such a tremendous champion. So that was a real big gig for me. If I recall, my father was elsewhere doing another big fight, mm. but I did that fight at the Olympic Auditorium. So that was... Is that know, right? Yeah. Oh, wow. But you know, by that time, I had done so many fights because I used to do amateur fights in, you know, hotel pool yard grounds you know and i'd be 25 fights that night or that day and the next day i do 25 more and i had done so, so many fights I, I didn't feel like a newcomer tell me about some of those places yeah <laughs> you know you're in a tux everybody else there not exactly no not exactly <laughs> and you know i get in the in the ring and you know a lot of people amateur boxing is not a big deal they just have some guy say their name who's in a t-shirt ringside but i'd get in the ring and do the whole spiel uh -huh. and um good training for me yeah, yeah. I, I did a you had lot to, you had of to learn to win over different types of audiences uh, absolutely and um yeah i i did but but i i came in with a mindset of what i should do how it should be done the correct way to do it the only way i knew was watching my father so mm. i didn't think anything but dress nicely get in the ring present the guys as best as I could, interview them beforehand, make sure I pronounce their name correctly, make mm -hmm. sure I know where they're from, you know, what they want, what's their real hometown, and that's great. And everything. So You did. You, yeah, that, you know, <clears throat> I often say that about um, athletes that grow up in an environment where their dad's either a coach or an athlete, and, and all they ever see and know mm. is the game played at a high level. Mm -hmm. And so I've talked to some that are advanced in, in like Karch Cry, for instance, mm. the great volleyball player, right? He said, I was only around really good players. I was lucky that like club volleyball didn't exist. So I wasn't around a bunch of other 12-year-olds that were flailing. I was only around older guys that could really play the sport. So that's all his visual. That's all that was drained yeah. into him. And I mean, you had a similar type of upbringing when it came to announcing. You had right. the best right in front of you. And people said, have you tried to imitate his style or copy him and so forth? No, not really. It's just it's what I was around. And so that's all I knew. That makes sense. How many, um, so you, you mentioned about dressing nice. How many uh, tuxes you got? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Do people ask you this all the time? Sometimes, yeah. <laughs> I did have, um, the worst question I've ever been asked was, do you own your own tux? <laughs> it was no. years ago. But no, I got a sponsorship <laughs> with Al's Tuxedo Rentals. <laughs> yeah. No, I don't know. You know, the styles change, and I put some away. Sure. And I, I don't know. I probably have about uh, eight or so. I okay. Know, something like that. Change yeah, uh, the tie and the, and the shirt. As, as, now, you, I know you've, you've stayed about the same size, so have you ever mm. come back to ones from way back that are kind of like either throwback or they've come back in style? No, I haven't. Well, I, I really have it. Yeah, I, I have it. It would be interesting, but at one point I I just lose space and I say, you know, no, You're I got to move it along. You're and, out. Uh, what, tell me a little bit about the whole uh, routine for you know a, a big fight, and then then I want to ask you some about your other big fights. Um, so there's the weigh-in. Is that is that the first time you're kind of in effect on the clock, 
or is there preparation before the weigh-in about how that's going to go and how, how like integral you to the whole process? Yeah, and, and it all depends on the size of the fight. If we're talking about a big pay-per-view mm-hmm. per view fight like a Mayweather-Pacquiao or, or something mm-hmm. like that, I, you know, I'll show up uh, even for production meetings beforehand. We'll talk about, you know, get things coordinated. Um, and certainly before the weigh-in, I do a lot of preparation. I mean, I, you know, I over-prepare. I, I don't mm-hmm. really need to, but I... You know, I want to be ready and do the mm-hmm. best I can because I, I have this sense of me I'm only as good as my last performance, and I'm judged on that only, and it's, you know. So in any case, so. I prepare for the weigh-in a lot, and, and then I go there, and uh, so so I'll present the fighters, and then, um, yeah, that that's, you know, that's it. When I was younger and smaller fights, I would always go to the arena, interview each of the fighters. Mm-hmm. Like I said, um pronounce their name properly, what's their nickname, where they're from, the hometown, you know, check their colored trunks. And um, for the bigger fights, there's a whole staff doing that. And so I, in some ways, I feel a little out of it. I, I really used to enjoy talking to each of the fighters. Yeah. I still do that if there's a difficult name or, or a uh, something I need to have answered. I'll go into the dressing rooms. And some of them are friends, and so I'll wish them the best. And so yeah. I'll has, show up early to the fight has night. It, has any of those weigh-ins gotten a little crazy where you were worried that they were going to take their antics and you were going to get involved in the middle oh yeah because you're right there yeah it happens a lot (laughs) i mean yeah i mean you know they could just be messing around and yeah yeah. and and you know some places are a little bit better controlled than i just did a fight with javante davis and uh, uriokis gamboa and it was a swelter, sweltering hot room, overcrowded stage, not enough security. They got into a shoving match, and so. But you know, I don't, I don't need to deal with that. I, I just walk out. I mean, I don't. And words out there that Jimmy Junior will kick your ass. There you go. <laughs> they <laughs> you know. know they know. And I, and in terms of weigh-ins, uh, Macho, uh, Macho Camacho mm-hmm. used to love to just take everything off on the big stage <laughs> and step on the scale. I mean. I mean, you know, now, you know, they'll weigh in their trunks, and if you need to, if you're a quarter pound off, you know, they'll bring out the, the towel and take off the underwear. And he would just, you know, oh, oh yeah, that's so do funny. <laughs> he, was, he was just crazy. So pl- plenty of those antics as well. Uh, okay, so um, before I ask you about some of your big fights, mm. you've picked up some TV and film. Mm. So you've done Hot Shots. Yeah. Um, and I Spy. Yes. Um where you are on, on set for much more than your shot, or do you have to be there like all day, the whole week? Oh yeah, it's 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 quite quite long, you know, mm-hmm. to be there ready. Hot shots. I even remember going in reading for the script. They had a big a room with a large U-shaped table, and everyone just took the script and read their parts. And and and. Uh, you know, it was so funny to see, you know, and the director said, okay, everyone just say your name, what role you're playing, and I don't know, where you went to high school. And, uh, and so everyone would go around <laughs> the room, and, uh, you know, Charlie Sheen is saying, well, I'm playing this, and uh, I went to high school at Samo. I didn't graduate, but, you know, and all these famous <laughs> actors saying that. So, yeah, and then being there, it's a two, three-day process, no matter okay. how small the role is. I did Southpaw recently. Not yeah, Jake you know, not Gyllenhaal, that, right? Yeah, yeah. And uh, again, a very small part, but they're on set for two, three days, and in hot shots. And uh, we um, like to consider ourselves in the pop culture the show of record for '80s television. Mm. And I want you to know where I really became proud of you is finding <laughs> out that you're an episode of Hunter. 
<laughs> Look out, Fred Dreyer yeah. holding down as, as Rick Hunter. I kind of forgot about that. <laughs> Sammy Davis Jr. with an eye patch. Yes, he played yes. a very convincing corner man. Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> now I and the other one is Highway to Heaven. Yeah, fighting for your life. That might was that your first one? It looked like it was early. It was your... early, but not my first. My very first was I think the Ray Boom Boom Mancini story, oh. uh, made for TV, yeah. and made for NBC. Okay. Yeah, I, you know, I really kind of forgot about those. <laughs> but you did not mention Married with Children, or are you getting to that well, later? Well, that's the 90s. That's yeah, the next generation go. down was watching that. Not that I did, – did, was that one a little bit longer? Like, did well, they give you yeah. a, a little more shtick? Yeah, and I wasn't a, a ring announcer. I, I Oh. I was a ringside commentator for wrestling. Okay. And uh, I'll, I'll never forget, uh, you know, there was a, a wrestler versus uh, – you know, the girl in it, I can't remember her name, but... Uh, Christina Applegate? That, yeah, yeah, Christina that Applegate's yeah. character. Uh-huh. And she was a bumblebee uh, just in the, you know... My big line was, look at the hiney on that honey. <laughs> Classic. Oh, Classic. I'm about to look that up. I oh, like that stuff. Did, yeah. um, did uh, Michael Landon cry in your Highway to Heaven episode, do you know? Because he cried an awful I lot think on he television. Did. Yeah, yeah, I think he did. Yeah. That, that'll, that'll make it. That'll make it for you. So um, do you get a lot of questions about not only your dad, but like the Lennon sisters and other other parts of the family when you're getting interviewed or as like I've, I've found that just in conversations with people, it's starting to fade now. Sure. You know, and it's uh, the older folks who would just tell me how much they were in love with Janet or whatever. Yeah. And, and <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> that one and, always seems to come up. Yeah. And um but I, it's all, so yeah, a lot more when I started and less now. But uh, you know, I'm so proud of them. Yeah, it's happy great. To, happy to fill them in and on everything I know. Yeah, it's it's fun. You speak uh, Spanish a little bit. And um, Maori is that how you said the New Zealand language or something? Did I read that? No, somewhere? no, that might have been made That's up. Strike Force. Okay. Yeah. Oh, I thought that might have something to do. What I do is I try to welcome. Whenever I go to foreign countries, welcome in their language mm. as much as I can. And it fools some people thinking I speak a lot mm. more than I do. Mm-hmm. So I've done it in Indonesian, Japanese, German, French, Spanish, of course. That's cool. Um, Ru- uh, Russian, uh, Turkish as well. There's a funny story with the, the Turkish uh. one because I, I went to Ankara, Turkey to do a fight. They hadn't had boxing there in a couple generations. And... So I arrive the morning of the fight, and I see a waiter setting up the table and in the restaurant. It's like 5 in the morning. And, and so I say, hey, how do you say, and to all of my Turkish friends, good evening and welcome. And I recorded him saying it a couple times. So then I went to my room, went to get, got some sleep, and I played it and recorded it. And so I get introduced. You know, another announcer does the undercard. Okay. Now, Turkey's not good friends with Americans. Mm. And so I'm introduced mm. as a now to announce, you know, the rest of the parts, um, American announcer, Jimmy Lennon Jr. And they, they all booed me. And Did they think you said Armenian? No, <laughs> they were, you know, it was a number of years yes. ago. And uh, and then I, you know, ladies and gentlemen, good evening, welcome. And then I gave my Turkish welcome, and they all cheered. Oh. And I felt like I really won them over, so... As much as I can do that, I'll do that. And wow. I like uh, somebody could approach. set you up if you're not careful when you don't know the language. That's um, true. So, so, so is that the process? It goes, you you have somebody say it into a recorder, and then you just listen to it over and over again? Oh, it all depends. Oh, it all depends. When I was going really to cool. Indonesia, I had a, I was sitting next to an Indonesian professor, mm. and I said, oh, by the way, this might have been the first time I did it as well. 
if not in Spanish, in another mm. language. And I said, how would you say this? And we just went over that and went over that. And How um, does your mind hear it? Do, do you... Like, do you, do you, you probably, you can't read it, so do you just gotta hear it? Do you break it down? I, I would put it phonetically. I think I might even remember it, and this was like, you know, 30, 20 some years ago. In Indonesian, you repeat to plural, it's pretty easy language. When you pluralize something, you repeat it. So, ladies is, is bapak. Mm-hmm. Lady is bapak. Ladies is bapak. Okay. So I say, bapak, bapak dan ibu, ibu, selamat malam ke para para panggabar tinju di Indonesia. Brilliant. And that was my welcome. And that's and enough for the whole crowd to go, hey. They loved it. This guy's one of us. Yeah. Oh, that's wow, I that's got away so with good. it. Yeah. And you've done that in so many languages. Yeah. That's a lot of languages. pretty awesome. Wow. That's really good. Now it's time for an installment of As Time Goes By, where we get to know Carlos Haro Jr. of Casablanca Restaurant in Venice, one minute at a time. Now let's play it again with Carlos Jr. Your eighth grade teacher was Miss Dolan. Yes. And she happens to be the lead researcher for Sports Stories with Denny Lennon. Yes, she She is. She had a favorite book that the, the class would read each year, and um, and she taught from. Do you know the name of that book? I, I, I should have, but I don't think I ever read it. Uh, oh. uh, to to Kill a Mockingbird, Ring a Bell? Yeah, that, that sounds right. Okay. Who was the author of Kill a Mockingbird? Uh, the author's last name is Lee. Oh, okay. I'm trying to remember her first name. Harper, thank you. All right, all right, okay. <laughs> Partial credit there. Okay. All right. Sports Stories with Denny Lennon is supported by the AAU. Find a local event and join at aausports.org. And remember, you can catch your favorite amateur sports live stream, replays, and highlights at ballertv.com. Sports Stories, along with East Bay, supports the Heroes Movement, a nonprofit that bridges the gap from mental or physical therapy to getting strong again through strength and conditioning workouts. This free service is available for any veteran of the United States Armed Forces. Visit heroesmovementusa.org for more information. Sports Stories, along with thousands of people across the country, also supports the My Stuff Bags Foundation a nonprofit that provides traumatized children with new belongings and new hope. Learn more at mystuffbags.org. Sports Stories with Denny Lennon is a production of Sports Stories, Inc. and is available on Apple Podcasts and YouTube or wherever you listen and watch. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and give us a review. It really helps spread the word. You can find all our social media links, archives, and other info on our website at sportsstoriespodcast.com. Special thanks to the John R. Wooden Course and Wooden's Wisdom. Original music for Sports Stories is courtesy of Lennon Music Productions. Original images by Sienna Lennon Photography. Sports Stories is produced by Christine Jimbo and Marley Rice. Sports Stories is edited by Bob McCall. Additional staff include Ray Castro, Teresa Dolan, Jake Downey, Carlos Haro, and Buck Magic Lennon. Looking for a good time? Sports Stories with Denny Lennon. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Fridays, 5 o'clock, Facebook. Thursday is a podcast, a live podcast, on YouTube. See you there. Check it out, book!